Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. I'm Matthew, like Glenn said, and this is an incredible privilege to join you tonight. Uh, it's my first time getting to share this evening with you in this service, and I got to tell you that the second I saw my friends Rebecca and Jen and Glenn and people who just got back from Swazi, my heart just leapt inside because I have a special place in my heart for missions and for short, long-term everything overseas. And I, I got the privilege of working with Rion Haynes since we started our, our global missions department a few years ago. And then about a year and a half ago, we got to start local missions here. And I want to encourage you, if you have not considered going overseas, consider it strongly. And if you have not gone yet, but you've considered it, then don't wait. Go this year. Go as soon as you can. Because it will bring a new perspective into your heart like very few other things can. God made every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and people, his people are beautiful. And so when you get a chance to immerse yourself in this culture that's unlike your own, it will change your life forever. And so Glenn is about to write a series of blogs, at least four, so if you don't already read his blog, it's, it's brilliant, it's incredibly encouraging. So I highly encourage you over the next few weeks to get online and, and just read his blog and, and kind of put yourself in their shoes as the team and experience what they did. And uh, I just encourage you to really just ask the Lord. He's the one who provides. There's no real excuse. He'll even find a way for your family to be taken care of while you're gone. So, so uh, let's just open up in a word of prayer again. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we can serve you in your name, that you've given us your Son and your Spirit. Heavenly Father, that you love us like your own children. And God, we just dedicate this time to you. Would you open up our hearts and minds to receive your word in Jesus' name? Well, we're continuing the series on legends and misfits. And tonight we're going to talk about Solomon. And it's, it's really interesting what the author of Kings did. Uh, they, they wrote this story in such a brilliant way and created such an engaging tension that it's hard for us, I would say even impossible for us, to determine if Solomon is more legend or misfit. If he's more this amazing king that inherited such good things from his father David and continued in that same way of uprightness of heart or if he was more of the king who squandered it away and lost it all. And so I want us to think about how this relates to each and every one of our own stories tonight because it does. This is the enduring human struggle that Paul recognized in Romans chapter 7 when he said, I don't know what to do. I don't understand what I do. Has anyone here ever felt like that? Like every day. I see my roommate right now raising his hand, and I'm raising it with you, brother. I, I, uh, I just think, man, why did I say that to him? Why did I do that to her? Why did I wait? Why did I hesitate to give somebody encouragement? And there's all this often struggle going on in our hearts as humans when we just we just don't know why we do what we do. And in fact, we even say, I hate it. I hate it what I do. Because in fact, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And this was possibly the struggle of Solomon. 
And so tonight, let's look first of all at some background. Uh, This is the story of kings, and in our Christian history and tradition, we've actually divided up the book of Kings into two books, probably for lectionary purposes or because we just wanted to, it was easier for us to read both books if we get them each onto one scroll. But in the Hebrew and Jewish community and tradition, this has always been one book. And it's actually, whereas we kind of put it in history, uh, I think that really minimizes what the value of the book of Kings brings to us. Uh, The Jewish community categorizes this as the former prophets. And as a prophetic book, the, the prophecy means, and this is the long tradition in Jewish culture, that the prophets would speak very critically about things that were wrong. When people were not following the ways of God, it took the prophets. God had this call in the prophet's life to speak critically and to bring into awareness of the people of God what was wrong and then energize them towards what is good, towards God's ways, towards the beautiful ways of the kingdom. And so this is exactly what the book of Kings is doing for us. And, and this takes place in Jerusalem. There's only one place in the first 10 chapters of the book of Kings that has to do with Solomon where it takes place outside of Jerusalem. And so we'll read about that in a moment. But uh, Solomon goes to Gibeon to sacrifice and to offer worship to the Lord. And, and in this is the place where he makes his famous prayer and plea to God the Father. And so today, uh, where, this take, where Solomon built his temple, his palace, where he lived out most of his days, uh, is what we know of as the Temple Mount. And it's kind of the southeast Temple Mount in, in the old city of Jerusalem. And this took place in a, an amazing period in Israel's history. It was, you might even call it the, the Pax Israeli like the Pax Romana. This was a period of 40 years of consistent peace for Israel. And it hadn't happened in the whole history of Israel before that. And as you probably know from today, the current events going on in Israel, it hasn't really happened since. And, and just, just imagine that. Israel's been a place of conflict for, for centuries and centuries. And, and we, we can't even relate. I mean, the last time the, our land here and the United States was threatened. For sh- surely it was before most of us were born in this room, per- perhaps all of us. And so this is an amazing time. This is a time where the Bible attributes it to the uprightness of heart of King David. And so King Solomon got to inherit this time and place of peace because of what his father had done. And so Solomon took this charge, this amazing charge from his father to build God a house of worship where his people, his family could come and they could offer their praise, offer their worship. This place that wouldn't be changed, it wouldn't change any time. This place that was destined for years and decades and, and they had hopes for centuries and centuries to be a place of worship where people from around the world and every nation would come to worship God. And so Solomon, this legend, he starts this journey as he gets his charge from his father and he travels to Gibeon. And we read this from 1 Kings chapter 3 where he says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. 
And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Now this was an amazing, legendary thing to happen, right? This is the ideal king. This is the ideal Solomon. And that's not to say that it wasn't true or wasn't real, but this was Solomon at his best. This was what God desires of us, that we would would cry out like he did, like cry out like Paul did. God, I don't know what to do. Like Solomon did. God, I don't know how to go in and out among the people. But show me. Show me your ways. Give me wisdom. Give me a discerning heart. What an amazing prayer to offer to the Lord. Right? If we'd only ask like this all the time. And so Solomon teaches us about wisdom because he got, he was granted as a gift what he asked for. And so God taught him the ways of wisdom. And if we were to define wisdom, I wouldn't just define that, but wisdom is such an incredible term that it's full of depth. And every time God talks about it in the scriptures and every over, over 500 of Solomon's Proverbs, they often talk together about wisdom discernment, understanding, discretion, knowledge. And these things are better thought of as a theme, that there's a theme in the kingdom of God called wisdom. And if I was to define this, I would describe it like this, that it's to maintain a posture of the heart that seeks passionately for God's ways and lives them out. To maintain a posture of the heart that seeks passionately for God's ways and lives them out. And this is exactly the cry of Solomon's heart. He wanted to be a king who knew God's ways so that he could administer justice and righteousness and peace and redemption and reconciliation and understanding for all of the peoples. And that's a beautiful thing. It's legendary. And there's a couple things that wisdom can teach us. I think there's many things, but... A couple that I want to highlight tonight that we can learn from from Solomon and from our scriptures. And one is from Proverbs 4. 4 verse 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. 
Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And so one thing we know for sure, that wisdom is costly. It costs us, and it doesn't just cost a little. What in your life is valuable enough to you that you would say it costs you everything? Is there anything right now? What does that mean if it costs you everything? What's the most important thing to you, your life? For sure it is to me. I mean, if I have to think about who I would want to lay my life down for, I mean, that cost, that would cost me everything. Who do you think of? Who comes to mind? Well, that's what the Lord is telling us the importance of wisdom is, the importance of knowing his ways passionately. And that costs us everything. If we look to uh, one of Jesus' parables in Matthew chapter 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So not only will the wisdom of God cost us all that we have, but it's also like this. As a way of the kingdom, it's a hidden treasure. Wisdom is hidden. You know, there's this verse in Colossians that Paul says, in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not just some, but all. And this beautiful thing that God designed in his family was that we were to be built together into unity as a family of God and have Christ dwell within us. And so all the treasures of the kingdom, all the treasures of Christ, all the wisdom and knowledge in this universe, where can it be found? In you, and you, and you, in all of us, the body of Christ, where our Heavenly Father decided in his infinite wisdom to make Christ his Son dwell. That's powerful. So when I think about where I can find it, the costliest thing, that I can lay my life down and pour it all out so that I would find wisdom, this treasure that's costly above all things and it's full of wisdom and knowledge, I'm going to look to people. I'm going to look to you. Because Christ designed it that way. And if it's that costly and that hidden because it's that valuable to God, that means you're going to have to unbury it. So let's just think about this picture that God painted for us in Matthew 13. It's hidden treasure. You find it, you unbury it, you take it. You find your own hiding spot and you bury it again and you guard it with your life. Now if treasure is hidden... And it's hidden in us. It's like the soil, the beautiful rich soil of our hearts is covering it, is covering it, is covering it. And inside of us, it's hidden in all of us. And so when I come up to Glenn today, say, Glenn, it's so good to see you, man. I'm glad you made it back. I can't wait to hear about it. You know what I'm thinking about is little trip to Swazi in this past week and a half. But you know what? There is a depth of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and treasure that's beautiful in Glenn that I have no idea about. 
It's not going to take a 10-minute conversation about Swaziland to unbury that treasure. I'm going to have to dig my hands in the soil of his heart to get it out. I'm going to have to work for it. It's costly. Who have you spent your life on lately to unbury that treasure? Joe Couch right now, Joe and Annalise, they're launching this amazing school to help and guide and love and serve people who have a call to be in poor and needy and broken areas of the world, to bring them life, to be advocates for them, to spend their lives on their behalf. There's treasure in that man. There's treasure in that woman. And I want to find it. I want to spend my life to get it. So think, who is your treasure? Have you taken him out to coffee lately? Have you invested even that? Have you taken him out to dinner lately? Have you mowed their lawn so that you can get a chance to sit on their back porch with them and drink some iced tea and pull out that list of questions that you had prepared for them? What are you going to do to unbury that treasure? We've got it all around us. You know, I'll tell you a quick story about somebody that really changed my life in a radical way. When I began to, to learn that this, how deeply this treasure is in people. When I was in high school, my wrestling coach and a freshman English teacher became like a father to me and one of my best friends. His name was Ray Westberg. And I remember one day I was stocking shelves at Albertsons. And I worked for about three years through high school at Albertsons grocery store. And uh, it was a surprise. I, didn't, I never had seen him there. So I thought, oh, this is funny. I know he didn't shop there. But he just met me down the aisle and started kind of walking alongside of me as I was stocking shelves and talking to me. And then he began encouraging me. And then he began describing some things to me and encouraging me in ways that I thought, wow, that is powerful. I feel my spirit coming alive. And then he stopped me from working and he looked me in the eye and he said, Matthew, do you know how much I appreciate you? Do you know how valuable you are to me? I want you to know that I love you. I love you. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember just standing there thinking, like, what? And I just wept. <laughs> and I wept. And I thought, who is this man who would love me like a father? I'm not even related to him. And I think these same things about him that he thinks about me. And I think these same things about him that he just encouraged me with and communicated to me. And I'd never thought to tell him face to face. And in that moment, as he walked away, God, I'm so sorry. Why don't I communicate things like that to people? Why don't I tell them how much of a treasure, how valuable they are to me? And so I left that day thinking, God, help me. How many learn how to, do, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to encourage people like he just did. And so a few months later, I got a chance to take him out to coffee at his favorite place called the Copper Kettle. And this is the little local hangout where old dudes that are in their 60s and 70s hang out at 4 and 5 a.m. and get a terrible cup of coffee. 
And so we're sitting there in this, this you know, old booth with the ripped up fake leather. And, and uh, I just remember sitting across looking at his eyes and getting to share how much I valued him and how much I loved him. A few months after that, I go back to school just across the freeway here at the academy, and I get a call from my mom in the dorm room, and I knew as soon as I answered the phone and heard her voice that something was wrong. And she shared with me, uh, as she started to weep, Matthew, I'm so sorry, but Ray just passed away this morning. And it was the first day of class, his freshman English class, and he passed away right in front of them. He had an aneurysm. This amazing man. This amazing man of God. And I thought again, like a ton of bricks, God. But this time I said, God, thank you for allowing me the privilege of having this interaction with this man where we got to be vulnerable and share our hearts for each other before you took him, before he went to heaven. Thank you for this opportunity. So who in your life right now, who is it that you've wanted to share something with? Maybe tonight, later as we pray, we'll get to think about that some more. Think about, and just ask the Spirit, Lord, who might be in my field that you're wanting me to unbury right now? Who might be in my field that's a treasure? And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? when we see Christ in somebody else, who God made them to be, unburied, unearthed. Because when we unearth that, some ways it unearths the treasure in our own hearts that we're allowed to shine into others' lives. Well, not only is wisdom a costly hidden treasure, but it's a gift of grace. James 1.5 says if You lack wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So as much as we unbury and unearth and work for and spend our lives for unburying this treasure in others, that's hard work. But as much as we do that, it's not by our own strength. We can't take any credit for that. That's by God's grace alone. God in his scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift. So as we continue to get in this place where we get wisdom and more of it, more of it, and unbury this treasure, we might have the tendency to start feeling like, wow, I've got some wisdom. I've got some treasure. Man, I've done so well at working for this. I worked hard at it. I spent my life to get this. I worked so hard. But you know what? God says it's by his grace and his gift alone. And it's not just for you, but it's for everyone. It's for everyone. God, with God, there's no, there's no end to his wisdom and to his gifts of the Spirit. Because he says he pours the Spirit out without measure. So that means there's enough for you, there's enough for all of us, right? It's by God's beautiful grace that we have this costly hidden treasure given to us. And so let's talk for a few moments. We've got about 
and 15 here about Solomon the misfit. Because Solomon the legend taught us about the treasures of wisdom, but Solomon the misfit also has lessons to teach us that we can learn from. And in 1 Kings 2, when David is handing over, he's giving the charge to his son Solomon to take the kingship, to take the throne. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong and act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. Well, this is the wisdom that Solomon did not get. It's the wisdom that Solomon did not get. Why? Well, if I was a king in Israel, and I was following the ways of Israel, and I was had this amazing call from a guy like David, like no other, whose name today is even carried on. We all know what we mean, what somebody means when we hear the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, the place where God is going to send his son when he returns. And so, so Solomon inherited this. He inherited this rich tradition he inherited for the first time Israel as a place of peace that endured for 40 years. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives specific instructions to a king. So, all right, put yourselves with me in Solomon's shoes. You're going to take the throne. You're going to be the next king. Where are you going to go for wisdom and how to lead as a king? You first go to the scriptures that are part of your history and tradition. And in this, it could even be the same author, but in this, from Deuteronomy, I would be thinking about these ways of how to lead as a king. And it's very simple. Moses laid out three things. He said, The king, one, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. Two, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And three, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Yes. Whoops. This king who had it all squandered it away. Solomon went from legend to misfit very quickly. And I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened in those early years as a king when he took this amazing charge, this prophetic charge and call to his father David to build this place of worship. And in six or so years, invested everything of the kingdom into this magnificent place of worship. And then maybe, just maybe, sat back a little bit on his laurels and said, wow, God, we did it! I did it with you! We built this amazing place of worship. And then, what happened? He spent the next, not six, but probably seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen or fourteen years building his own palace. 
He spent twice as long and invested way more than twice the resources in building his own palace. And along the way, he acquired massive numbers of chariots, massive numbers of horses, massive amounts of gold and silver so that it said it was legendary and like no other king in the history of the world. Do you see where this is going? The exact things that he was warned about by Moses, he did. He did. And this happened in his place of peace and safety and security in the palace. This happened in a place of peace. This happened in a place where he didn't have to war like his father David did. And it happened in a place where he fell into one of the worst traps that he could, into glorifying sexuality as an idol and taking on more wives and concubines than anyone had. Does this sound maybe a little bit like our culture? So, so he had, what, 40 years? 40 years of peace. How many years has have we had on our own land, and I know some of us have been overseas and seen terrible things, terrible bloodshed, terrible trauma of war. But here, in our own land, do you know that we've experienced peace for longer than Israel did? We've experienced wealth like no other empire has. We've experienced a culture that is over-sexualized like no other has. We are the richest 2% of people in the world. We're safe. We're secure. We're at peace. And I wonder if at this time in the history of our nation, if God would remind us through Solomon the misfit, be careful of these things. Be careful of your wealth. Be careful of your over-sexualized culture that glorifies things that are wrong on billboards, on your computers, on magazines. Be careful of the time that you spend at peace in your homes, safe and secure. So, what does Solomon the misfit have to teach us? Well, if I could summarize, I would read this. An early proverb of his says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And one of his later proverbs says, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So one's life reflects the heart. So one's life reflects the heart. And so I want us to ask ourselves as we get ready and prepare our hearts right now for a time of communion. God, I know that I'm living in a place of freedom, of security, of safety, of wealth. But would you teach me, God, like a child, like a humble child, would you teach me your ways? Would you lead my heart into a, into a posture of knowing your ways and then living them out? 
so that I don't succumb to safety and security, so that I don't succumb to the over-sexualized culture, and so that I don't succumb to the wealth that we have. I don't care if you're living in a tiny apartment. Face it, that's why we need to go overseas so you can get some perspective. We are rich. We're rich. And so let's, as a community of faith, think together how, one, we can unbury this costly hidden treasure around us and then find ways in the midst of these meetings daily Let's encourage each other like Ray Westberg did with me. Let's call it out. Call out the life, the destiny that each other has for one another. another. Call out the beautiful things that God has done in you. Call out the treasure of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we do that, we will come close and into the heart of Jesus and we will learn to spend ourselves for others for others. We will learn to lay down our lives because we know that that is where we find the kingdom of God. Not in our safety, not in our security, not in our wealth. Well, Lord, we just pray right now. God, we invite your help in this. God, this isn't a burden that is meant to condemn This isn't a burden that is meant to discourage. But God, like Paul and like Solomon did in his early years, we cry out, God, we don't know what to do. Lord, would you help us as we engage with the body of Christ, as we lay down our lives serving in our needy areas of the city. God, as we lay down our own desires for security, and would you help us spend ourselves God, would you help us spend everything for the benefit of others? In Jesus' name, amen.